Welcome to the Creative Genius Podcast with Nicolette wilson Clark. Hello and welcome to the Creative Genius Show. This is Nicolette and it is the Creative Genius Show. It's the local radio show that supports the creative in learning who they are so that they can tap courageously into their genius and especially to protect their emotional and mental health. So how are you guys this week? Well, it's been a bit of a sausagey week this week. And I use that word because I can't think of another word to describe it, to be honest. It's my go-to. So with regards to mental and emotional health, it's been a bit of a, hmm, a bit of a tumultuous week, I would say, uh, where mental and emotional health has featured quite prominently. And the catalyst was the very sad news last weekend that a very well-known reality TV presenter in the UK took her own life and she had expressed her emotional vulnerability previously. However, I have no idea what support she was seeking or receiving prior to her premature death. Now, I was preparing for a night out when I heard the news and was completely stunned when I was told, if I'm honest, It actually impacted my evening more than I thought it ever would. I I couldn't stop thinking of a future where she was still around because she had had a glimmer of hope that day and removed the despair. That glimmer of hope had removed the despair, even just for that moment. You see, that's all it takes, a glimmer, a glimmer of feeling that there's another way. Last year, I dedicated a show to suicide because that's what I'm talking about. And you can listen to that at anchor.fm or spotify.com. And I mention that because within that show, I gave an anecdotal experience of someone who shared how even though their life once looked worse than worse, they were so glad that their suicide attempt at that time hadn't actually worked. They were glad to be here to recount it back. And it had given them a chance to see their world in a different way. It had given them a second chance. So I I couldn't stop thinking about how on a different day, in a different setting, her outcome could have been different. A bit like the film Sliding Doors. Do you know that one starring Gwyneth Paltrow and John Hanna? It's about the choices you make today that impact tomorrow and how you might do it differently given a second chance. And of course, this applies to everything in life, as I'm sure you know and I know. It got me thinking, though, about the environment that we create for ourselves when we stop feeling hope and when we start thinking despair. Not only that, I started to wonder how I or you could be more informed and aware within our own social and professional communities to notice the warning signs and to be a beacon of light to someone in need if it's not you. So in today's show, I'd like to talk about what might be the alarm bell signs relating to the behaviour and speech in a person who is living on the edge with feelings that there's nowhere left in this world to go. 
Before we do that, though, may I share something with you about an unexpected experience I had? It was this week, actually, just this week. I'd had a a busy morning. And I was with clients and teaching. And I popped in to see my mum. And then I came home. And I came home to work on some future projects. A little side note. The next day happened to be my brother's birthday and my brother died from cancer two years ago. And as I settled in at home to work, I started to feel mega drained. I mean, really drained. It was early afternoon and I'd already put in more than an eight hour day. So I just put it down to that. But as the sensations and the feelings grew... I started to identify it as something that was different, but couldn't quite name it yet. I took a break with some lunch and some TV, because that's part of the joy with discipline of working from home. And during the program I was watching, I started to cry. It didn't help that what I was watching was quite emotionally heavy. And just like that, I choked up and cried and and felt really low. It was at that moment that I was able to identify the something different. It was sadness and it was so heavy and so all-encompassing. It just took over. It weighed me down and it just wouldn't give me space to think about anything else or to think differently. Now, through my professional trainings, I've seen and learnt about the benefits of sitting with the emotion that you're feeling and keeping it company. And so I I did that. I forced myself. I mean, I forced, I dug deep and I forced myself to do this and allowed whatever message was there to surface. It turns out that I was mourning my brother He'd died in May two years ago, but his birthday was in Feb the next day, as I'd said. And I had stored the sensations and the emotions of his passing within my body, as we do. That's what we humans do. And even though I had allowed them to surface at the time of his death, the impression of them was still there, tucked away. It's like when you sit down on a a beanbag, you know, you, you get up. And there's still a a groove of where you were. Or how many of you have memory beds now? (laughs) And when you lay down, you can still see a little imprint as it kind of lifts up gently from where you were. But at one point, there was an imprint there. Well, our way of storing emotions isn't like the memory bed where it stays for a bit and then goes back to where it was. It actually stays there. And what goes back to what it was is how you deal with it. If you don't deal with the emotions, they literally permeate you and they can impact your life. But if you do deal with those emotions, yes, there's still an impression there, but it doesn't have much impact on you because it's dissipated. It's just a memory. And so this was a memory. And somehow my body knew that it was time again to mourn. And with no more distractions from the morning's activities, it had found space to surface in that moment and to revisit the experience. It's 
kind of like a mild PTSD, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder, I suppose. When I was in the moment, I have to admit, it was absolutely horrendous. I felt really down, really negative, extremely sad. That was the key word that was coming up for me, sadness. And I felt apathetic, like don't care, can't be bothered, whatever, and very passive, very just receiving everything. Just, yeah, do do it, I don't care, sort of thing. And that's so the opposite of my default persona. I'm so not those things on an everyday level. So they were very uncomfortable and that's why they stood out so much as though, to, as if to say, something's not quite right here. And the interesting thing about the sadness being that key word is that when I was grieving for my brother a couple of years ago, uh, at the time of his actual death, I remember that word being so prominent and me saying it to myself a few times and also to people who were checking in on me, that I had this massive sadness and I wasn't sad much in my life. So it was really uncomfortable wearing it and living with it. I didn't actually quite know what to do with it. And that was part of my emotional um, dealings. It was, how, where do I put this? How do I deal with this? What is it? Oh, it's sadness. Okay, well, what does that mean? What happens when you're sad? Because I'd never been sad before. And so I chose to be sad the way I wanted to be sad. I defined my sadness, because it is just a word, but we experience it. And I mourned the way I wanted to. But the fact that that word came up for me again this week, I was like, wow, that is so poignant and powerful for how the body never, ever forgets. And because it's so opposite to my natural persona, that's when it hit me, actually. I started questioning and, and getting curious. I was like, is this a taste of what it must feel like to lose hope? and to only feel despair, to be on the edge, the brink, to feel that there's only one way to ease the pain and it's not a good way for you or for anybody else that it will impact. And at that time, in that mire of negative emotion, I recall starting to think about conversations I'd had the day before, for example, with a friend who told me about her uncle dying and also that her friend's ex-partner had committed suicide and that her friend had been diagnosed with cancer. And I started to think about my family and about losing them. And I thought of my close friends and them passing. And I started to think of my passion with the creative genius business as a complete waste of time, just futile, serving no one. What the hell are you doing it for? No one's listening to you anyway. And I mean, I was derailing, dear creatives. And amidst the tears and the lump in my throat and the heaviness within my body and the helplessness within my mind, that's when I, I caught myself and I, I started to realize what was going on. And I dug deep and I reminded myself that none of it, well, there's one part of it, but a majority of it was not true. A majority of what I was saying wasn't actually true, that my brain couldn't tell the difference between fact or fiction. So of course, it was going to react with emotional responses like anxiety and fear and despair and helplessness and passivity and worthlessness to all of those thoughts that I was having. But the only part that was true was the death of my brother, which I couldn't change. And this was the truth that had started the whole mental hijacking state. The rest was untrue. It hadn't happened. 
It was my imagination spiraling, my emotions going on a wonderful tirade. You're very good storytellers, I have to tell you that. And uh, it was telling a really good story, but it wasn't serving me. And it was all a load of baloney, to be honest. And I'm really glad that I caught myself and I spent some time self-coaching myself off the metaphorical ledge into a safe space and eventually found myself in a calmer, more peaceful state. But what if I hadn't known how to do that? You know, what if that was you, for example, if you haven't had the training and the experience that I have had in coaching and working with the mind and understanding how the brain works, etc.? How would how might you have responded? What do you think would have happened to me if I had continued on that journey? What do you think, I should say who, who do you think I would have become over time? I mean, what if what I have just shared was all I knew and became my default? What if I actually just started to relive that moment the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day, thus allowing it to become my new way of being? So I asked you that question again. What do you think would have happened to me? What do you think could happen to me moving forwards? And who do you think I could become? And if it was you, who would you become if you were allowing those thoughts to permeate every single day from the minute you wake up to the minute you go to bed, those negative tirades in every part of your body, 24-7-365? It's heavy, isn't it? Massive overload. And if there's no way out you'll find one way out because the brain is about, which is an interesting paradox, survival. And if it means that you sacrifice yourself for the sake of what you're experiencing, then you'll do it. Uh, Black widow spider, I think it is, will sacrifice itself for the sake of mating because uh, having sex and getting the next generation into existence is part of its DNA. It's a primal desire and a must to continue the generation. So it will sacrifice itself in order with the female, in order to procreate. And I think that, you know, we have something like that when there is something that's so innate in us that is primal that we don't have much control of because it's been there since we began. We need mechanisms and tools to be able to come away from that self-destructive button and to think in a different place rather than thinking from the back of our head, which is the old brain. We need to bring our thoughts to the front of our brain, which is that prefrontal cortex area. Come away from the limbic system, which is in the middle, which is our emotional control center. So we can use it to control, but not to tirade from the back of the head, which might be taking over. So we've got to use that limbic system well, is what I'm saying. Who I would have become and who you could become and what could happen to you is what I'm going to be talking about after this break. It's the signs, the signals the talks, the behaviours and the moods that I'm going to be talking about. I split it into three sections to break it down so that it is easy to recognise. So don't go anywhere and I will be back very soon. 
You're listening to The Creative Genius Show with Nicolette Wilson-Clark. Hello and welcome back. You're listening to Nicolette on The Creative Genius Show. We're talking all about empowering ourselves to recognize the warning signs that may indicate that either ourselves or you, someone else, is having suicidal thoughts. And I'd like to split this into three sections. Number one is talk, the other is behavior, and the third is moods. So let's begin with talk. You want to listen if a person talks about the following. Killing themselves, feeling hopeless, having no reason to live, being a burden to others, feeling trapped, and unbearable pain. So if you're hearing that as part of your dialogue with the person, there are signs. And remember that can also apply to you too. Behaviors is the second one. You know, behaviors may signal risk, especially if related to a painful event or a loss or a change perhaps. And signs like increased use of alcohol or drugs or perhaps looking for a way to end their life. So they're searching for stuff that's online for methods, excuse me, <clears throat> withdrawing from activities, isolating from friends and family. Maybe they're sleeping too much or too little and they're visiting or calling people to say goodbye. Or perhaps they are giving away prized possessions. They're aggressive or they are just constantly tired fatigued all the time and remember that this can apply to you as well can apply to you and then the third one is looking at the mood of the person or yourself and people who are considering suicide often display one or more of the following moods depression anxiety loss of interest irritability humiliation and shame agitation and anger, feelings of hopelessness, and sometimes a sense of relief and sudden improvement, if that's where their thoughts are going, because they found a way out. And remember that these can also apply to you. Now, let's talk about risk factors, taking a minute to talk about risk factors, because these are characteristics and conditions that increase the chance that a person may try to take their own life. Uh, let's categorize them into three sections again. Number one is health, number two, environment, and number three is history. Number one, health, mental health conditions, depression, substance use problems, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, personality traits of aggression, mood changes and poor relationships in their community, conduct disorder, anxiety disorder, uh, serious physical health conditions including pain and also traumatic brain injury. These are things that are risk factors that could actually, conditions or characteristics that could increase the chance of a person who wants to change, uh, increase the chance that a person may want to take their own life. And then let's think about the environment now. Well, it might be that they have access to lethal means, including firearms and drugs. Perhaps in their environment, there is prolonged stress, such as harassment or bullying or relationship problems or even unemployment. 
Stressful life events like rejection, divorce, financial crisis, other life transitions or loss, exposure to other or another person's suicide or to graphic or sensationalized accounts of suicide, a lack of support from social and a sense of isolation, stigma associated with asking for help, a lack of health care, especially mental health and substance abuse treatment, a lack of that, cultural and religious beliefs, such as the belief that suicide is a noble resolution of a personal dilemma, and exposure to others who have died by suicide, you know, in real life or via the media or the internet. And let's move on to that third characteristic or condition, history your history, their history, previous suicide attempts, a family history of suicide, and a childhood abuse, neglect, or trauma. So those are those three sections that put us into the risk factors where somebody's in that environment, has that history, or even has those health conditions, they could be more susceptible. And there will also be factors that protect a person from the risk of suicide. I'd like to offer these as an open-ended solution, you know, because it's not going to just stop here. These are just offers for you to be able to see signs and know what they look like. It's, there's, there's nothing worse than feeling helpless in a situation and thinking that you could have done more. So let's think prevention rather than cure and empower ourselves so that we have the tools and the knowledge to be able to see what's in front of us. And sometimes these things don't show themselves fully. Uh-huh. Sometimes they are a little bit hidden under a mask of the anger under a mask of the anxiety, etc. So let's look a little deeper and take some time. Now, in this moment, we're talking about the protective factors, which are characteristics that make a person less likely to engage in suicidal behavior. So we're taking them further away from those risk factors. And these are the word that comes to mind is solutions, but it's not really a solution because it's not just one. These are just offers that will allow you to see how you could perhaps be in that space to offer these. Now, protective factors, if people are um, having effective clinical care for mental, physical, substance use disorders, then they are more likely to get the support they need and to feel as though there is a way forwards. Easy access to a variety of clinical interventions, again, makes you feel like people are listening. You're not on your own. Restricted access to highly lethal means of suicide. So moving people away from whether it's the guns, whether it's the knives, whether it's the cyanide, it's the bleach, all those different things. Um, strong connections to family and community support. Support through ongoing medical and mental, he- mental care relationships, skills in problem solving, skills in conflict resolution and handling problems in a non-violent way. And there is something called non-violent communication. It's a way of really expressing what it is that you need, that you want, how it's going to serve you, the other person honors it in a non-violent way. And cultural and religious beliefs that discourage suicide and support self-preservation. 
And so those are the protective factors. Previously, I've gone through the warning signs and then I've gone through the risk factors. And that's what we need to be aware of when looking out for your fellow humankind. And the work that I do with my clients makes way for a new perspective, a new way of looking at life that serves them emotionally. And it's about being open to a new and different way of thinking. Yeah, reframing it and seeing how, what would happen if I did it like that? Or what would happen if I thought like that? Exploring, being curious. You see it with children. They do it all the time, questioning, wondering, playing. They don't care about the outcome. It's just part of that journey of wondering what it would be like if I put the red next to the blue or I put my foot there, etc. And perhaps we could take a leaf out of their book, actually, and find that great sense of curiosity. It's about being open. It's about being open to the new and to a different way of thinking, of being. Um, but you've got to know that it's available to you first to be able to consider it. And that's what I do, amongst other things. That's what we do together when I'm working with my client. And that's something that you can do. You know, just listening to this and taking a moment to think, is there a different way? What could be another way? Asking yourself those wonderful, curious questions that open you up and don't close you down. I mean, if you're a plumber, of course, you need tools. And if you're a builder, you need tools. If you're a surgeon or a chef, you need tools. Mm. When you're a human being, a human being, not a human doing, a human being, you need tools too. You need them to master your mind through self-management. And it's such a shame, I think, that we're not armed with these tools in childhood at the beginning of our mastery journey, just like the skilled workers that I mentioned earlier would be. But you know, it's not too late. It really isn't too late uh, to, to just make change. It's never too late. And, and that's why there are amazing mental and emotional health professionals who dedicate their lives to creating self-management solutions to serve the human mind and to support you along the way. And I'm honored to stand with them, beside them, and accompany them. So do keep listening to future podcasts so that you can pick out some of the tools that I offer that really will assist you to manage your emotions, to avoid being derailed, to bring yourself back and to feel powerful that you use your mind and it doesn't use you. And if you or someone you know has suicidal thoughts and you'd like to talk with someone, please, please reach out. Please, please. There are friends out there who will want to listen. There are family, colleagues, professionals, organizations. Please somehow reach out. The Samaritans are open seven days a week, 365 days of the year, and their number is 116123. In the UK, 116123 if you need to ring the Samaritans at any time of the day. And it's a free call. And I'm here too. And that's it for another week on the Creative Genius Show. I thank you for listening. I hope it's been useful and that in some way it served you. Please do listen again if there are bits in there that you just want to recap. Please share it with someone who you just feel that it might serve in some way. 
And I thank you so much for listening. You can connect with the show on at The Creative Genius Show on Instagram. And you can listen to past shows on Spotify.com and Anchor FM. And if you would like to support the future of the show, you can head on over to GoFundMe, an internet platform that when you tap in GoFundMe and you go in, you tap in the Creative Genius Production Fund. And a portion of the full donation target will go to Calm. CALM stands for Campaign Against Living Miserably. That's GoFundMe, The Creative Genius Production Fund. Just check it out if it's just curiosity. And hey, whatever you can offer or just a message to say, hey, keep doing what you're doing. (laughs) So please share with others to spread the word. And uh, thank you to all those, by the way, who have previously donated. I really appreciate supporting this project moving forwards. And if you'd like to share something that's on your mind from today or just generally, why don't you whiz over to thecreativegenius.co.uk. Go to the contact page and just leave me a message there. It's always lovely to hear from you. So thank you so much for listening, dear creative. It's lovely to be here. And until the next time we share space, I invite you to keep creating. You've been listening to The Creative Genius Show with Nicolette Wilson-Clark. Thank you so much for listening.